Welcome to Lamenting the Leafs. I'm Cam with Nick and Keith. And boys, the Leafs are coming off a few tight games. A couple of losses, uh, a win over Nashville. Uh, but most recently against the Bruins, lost that one late. That was obviously a playoff atmosphere. And I think in the interest of accountability, I need to note here that I I picked the Bruins to miss the playoffs this year. <laughs> what a fucking pick that was. Yeah, well, I think we all kind of foresaw the Bruins starting to take a step back and that certainly hasn't been the case so far this year they've just they're an absolute wagon man that was a great game on Saturday night it was it was fun to watch it feels like a lot of these games are kind of like slogs through this portion of the season it doesn't seem like a lot of it really matters when you the the playoffs kind of seem preordained you know it's going to be Tampa Bay in the first round more than likely and if you get through that it's Boston so both teams really brought it on Saturday night and you said it Cam it was a playoff atmosphere I thought both teams had the energy and and the building was full of energy just really felt like a postseason atmosphere and I, I really hope we get to see it again at some point in the postseason yeah, admitted, admittedly, didn't uh, didn't get the amount of attention I wanted on that game. Had to to go out with some friends, but it was on at the bar. But you guys know what it's like when you're watching a game, not in your normal yeah. like, viewing atmosphere. I, I just, I mean, I, I was with another Leafs fan, which was nice. Um, you know that somebody that follows it as closely as, as you know. By that I mean doesn't have like stupid takes. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I, I wasn't like eye twitching the whole time watching the game with somebody saying dumb shit but um yeah just didn't didn't get to kind of view it all and then was kind of just didn't really feel like watching it knowing that the outcome of it like to to get more kind of detail on it but it did even even in a loud bar with the game on mute the, the kind of playoff atmosphere even was you know you could you could tell even from that just especially with you know, you get Simmons and Felino going early and all the John after the period and stuff like that. So it was a, it was a good one. Yeah. That's one thing that kind of stood out to me from the Leafs perspective on Saturday night was I think we saw a little bit more of, you know, thinking back to the first round against Tampa last year, you saw kind of the entire team sort of raise the intensity level just a little bit. I thought we, we saw some of that on Saturday night. I think, you know, you kind of have no choice but to do that against the Bruins if you're going to be in the game at all. And I, I thought that the Leafs did well to kind of to match that level. And, and yeah, even guys like Willie getting in on the four check. I thought Engvall played maybe his best game of the season. He was really engaged throughout the, the course of the game. And, yeah, you're going to have to get that level of intensity out of the Leafs when the games really start to matter down the stretch here. And I thought it was the same thing just before the holidays against Tampa Bay, too, right? Like, that was one of their best that best performances yeah. of the season. And, yeah, it's, it's good to see them bring it like that. Um, I, I will say, I mean, like, you know, the Leafs, we, we talked about, like, they're, they're a very strong team again this year. Like, hard hard not to argue that they're a top five team in the league. Um, you know, they're like a 54% expected goals for which is, I think, slightly slightly lower than last year. PDO is riding a little high right now. Um, like last season, obviously, they are a very strong defensive team, and, and they've dealt with a lot of injuries, which I'm inclined to blame for kind of the, the slight little decline in terms of the result defensively. Um, but, like, the, you know, they're still pretty pretty high up there with you know the rest of the league. They aren't generating quite as much offensively as last season, and... and uh, like I can tell you watching these last few games against Nashville and Detroit and Boston that like at, at no point did I think 
You know what we could really use is another top four defenseman. And that's even yeah. with, with all the injuries and everything. Like the team needs a, a little more spark, someone who can make some plays. You know, they got plenty of guys who can show that they can play within the structure and be successful there. But like when it tightens up in the playoffs and everyone is making the play, that's a sure thing, you know, taking what's available to them. You want the puck on the stick of a guy who, whose skill gives him more possibilities to, to create something with the little space that's out there at that time of the year, right? And, and the Leafs just don't have enough of those guys right now. Like, it allows all the focus and all the energy of the defense to just kind of fire away on Matthews and Nylander and Marner and Tavares. And, you know, you can't expect, to, you know, Matt Nyes to come in at the the end of the season to relieve that pressure. And that was, I guess, my kind of my takeaway from these last few games is, like, could really use that extra bit of offensive punch and well uh, we're just talking about how like this was one of those games that finally felt like it mattered so i think it's well within reason for you to come away from that game with some kind of take on what this team needs moving forward in order to be able to to compete consistently with a team like the bruins so yeah i I think in a season where it feels like we're just kind of waiting for that inevitable playoff matchup that that's again seems preordained i i think it, it, that's the best time to kind of identify those needs. And, and yeah, I think you're right, Cam. There's just a little bit more offensive spark and, and someone else to help carry the load offensively. It, it's something that this team really needs. And I, I expect it's going to be a primary focus as we get into the deadline here or the lead up to it. Yeah. And, and I was actually just before, before we hopped on here, I was just kind of putting around the house listening to today's uh, Kipper and Bourne and Bourne had a, a, a kind of like a, a, a moment where I didn't understand what the hell he was talking about. And then one where I actually kind of do agree and, and like the target that he named, but he was talking about that. He feels that when they go on the deadline, the, the deadline first show after the deadline, the names that they're going to be saying that the Leafs acquired, he said was, he felt pretty confident about Gavrikov. And I, I just couldn't like, who's can they ask him like Sam McKee asked him who's coming out of the lineup. And he was like, eh, well, one want a Lilligrand or something. But I was like, I, I just don't understand trade, like spending the, the capital it's going to take. You look at what those defensemen go for every year at the deadline. And it starts with a first. What's the, who was the guy that went from Columbus a few years ago that signed the big deal afterwards? Uh, Savard, you get Savard, Sherratt. These guys don't come what their should like. Their value in reality to their trade deadline value is always way out of whack. I, I, I would I would like to have Gavrikov on my team, but I'd be more interested in seeing what he wants in the summer than spending what it would take to get him right now. But he did mention Barbashev as a guy that he has not been on my radar at all, and. I don't mind that. Yeah, I've been kind of zeroed in on Barbashev, especially ever since all the talk uh, of St. Louis being in cell modes uh, started uh, popping up. And he he stood out to me too when when the Leafs played them as well. But I still don't think that he's like uh, necessarily a needle mover. I think that's just more of maybe a a complimentary upgrade or, you know, maybe if there's a, a deal somewhere that sends a forward like Kerfoot or Engvall in the other direction that brings in an upgrade, then maybe you're looking to maybe insulate that spot with a guy like Barbashev. I, I just don't think that he's that needle mover that Cam's kind of referring to here. Former Moncton Wildcat. Um, mm-hmm. Jesus, he had 60 points last season. Did you fucking That's know that? That's what I'm saying. I, yeah, I didn't until Bourne said 26 it 26 goals. That's... 164 hits or something like that. Like he... He, he he he's pretty good. Yeah, he had a great year. I don't. I not exactly. Admittedly, I'm not up on uh, his production this year. 
Um, yeah, but I don't, I don't think that he's performing at quite the same level as he did last year. So you might be looking at a little bit of a discount nobody, there. Nobody on on the Blues are there. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I I, I just kind of look at it like he's on a decent ticket. He's not going to cost like I think we all know my thoughts on Meyer being my number one pick, but like how realistic is that? They're going to have you know he he's not a guy that you can you know probably hang on to um, Meyer that is so you're looking at him as just a pure rental and what he's going to cost. You know I I have no problem parting with the first and prospects and stuff like that, but it still doesn't even feel like that would be enough. So. To me, like the next tier down is probably that that Barbashev, like that 20, 20, 25 goal guy that you know is got some some decent size to him. Well, I, I thought on Saturday night that the TJ Brody absence was really noticeable, and it's just kind of a reminder that you know you are one or two injuries away from the, the blue line maybe being a problem uh, against an opponent like Boston or Tampa in a seven game series. So it kind of brings me. It's a. I've got a question for you guys. If it came down to it, and the, the choice was between you know acquiring one legitimate impact forward, you know, say a uh, Ryan O'Reilly or a uh, uh, Vladimir Tarasenko or Jonathan Taves, even Timo Meyer, who I, again I think is maybe a bit of an unrealistic target, or acquiring one of those second tier forwards like a Barbashev along with a, a defenseman maybe in the Gavrikov mold. What, what would you guys do? Would you like to focus on that one huge forward upgrade or would you like to try and kind of address a few different areas before the deadline? Well, a couple of the guys that you named there, like I don't really have any interest in Taze or like I'd almost rather Barb just, just knowing what the costs are going to be and stuff like that. But just, like on the surface of your question, like would I rather a couple of all right players or one swing at the fence? I think I, I think I'm going big. Like I, I, I hear what you're saying about Brody, but I just think you could probably go and get somebody for insurance depth. Like you're not going to get somebody as good as TJ Brody unless I guess, unless you go the, the Gavrikov route, but then you're, you're spending all your chips and your cap space. I just, it doesn't seem feasible to acquire two guys that are going to move the needle as much as spending that the same amount of assets and the same amount of cap space on one. I think that's fair. Yeah. I, I think, um, I, I think I mostly agree with you, Keith. Like, I, I think that as far as like a defenseman, like I, I'm not, all I'm looking for is really like a depth piece. I think like if you can go and make an impact forward happen and then you can bring in like, I mean, obviously perfect scenario. Luke Shen is the guy and then I can get some use out of some old jerseys. But um, <laughs> like, I think that the play is definitely you get someone who, who can slot into your top six and the holes are filled by, you know, the, the guys that are, are pushed down. And I think that, you know, with, with the, the blue line, we've seen them perform so well with injuries and everything else. Like, you know, you, you, you want to add a couple of big guys who can eat minutes and, and like bang bodies and stuff then then great. Like the, they'll yeah. be more expensive than probably what they're actually giving to your lineup. But like, if you're paying a third round pick for Luke Shen versus, is a, a first and a prospect for Gavrikov. Like that's probably the the route I'd rather go down. Yeah, I think I'm mostly with you guys. I've just I, I've gotten a little bit of cold feet on the defense in the last couple of weeks. I, I think Giordano's starting to show his age a little bit, which isn't even a criticism because he's taken on so much for this team this year and he's been fantastic. I just don't know that you want to get into another situation where if injuries arise, you're relying on him to play you know upwards of 22 minutes a night uh, in the postseason and. I think there's been a bit of 
Connor Timmons reality check <laughs> lately as well. And Morgan Riley hasn't found his game yet. I think he, he's still going to figure it out and get back to a level we're more used to seeing as the season progresses here. But just something that's been kind of percolating in my mind a little bit is whether or not they they really do need to address the blue line as well. I have no concerns with Connor Timmons being my seventh defenseman. I think he was probably a little bit miscast on uh, on the weekend there against Boston uh, playing with Riley um, you know but if he's a guy that's going to come in f- for injuries and can give you a little bit of a spark offensively I've liked what he's brought in but we've got, we got to remember how few games he's played in the NHL and how young he is yeah I think maybe it's just that they have a, a lot of players who are similar and provide similar strengths and weaknesses on that blue line right now so I think maybe I'm kind of leaning in Cam's direction where if they are going to try to address the blue line as well, it's probably more of, you know, a a specific stylistic fit that you're looking for rather than just, you know, another depth piece that maybe provides the the same kind of game that we have from guys like Sandine, Timmons, Lilligren, who are, you know, you know, to varying degrees, uh, um, effective puck movers, and I, I guess Lilligren probably deserves a little bit more credit for how he's played lately. I think, you know, his defensive game has really taken a step forward. I'm kind of looking forward to seeing him get a bit of a run with Riley until Brody comes back. But yeah, just kind of trying to change up the mix a little bit in terms of the defensive depth, maybe. Yeah. And I think that, you know, the other side of it, too, is is like looking at what you have. Like, I, I feel like the kind of attitude that like I mean what you just mentioned Keith where, where Bourne kind of said like you know oh you just take Sandine or Lilligren out like that's to me like you don't add a top four because you've got a couple of guys who are on the verge of fully establishing themselves as everyday top four defensemen and, and you need to give them that opportunity and and you know you want to bring in a, an experienced veteran guy who's, who's got some you know got some weight to throw around and and you know has a, a kind of that uh, you know that playoff mentality or whatever you want to call it um like i i think that's the way to go and, and like but th- that's the other side of the coin right it, it, like maybe i would trust lilligren and, and sandine more than you know Keefe necessarily does at the moment and you see that by the fact that like it's it's uh you know timmons who gets thrown up with with riley right away rather than you know y- you would think that like lilligren has looked so good maybe he gets the, the the first spin at that probably just wanted to stick with you know the couple of pairings that he knew were working well together with everything else kind of in disarray and you know the flu bug yeah. running through the team and a lot of changes up front not so much a, of a, an indictment on not to say that that's what you were claiming but I, I don't think it was so much that on Lilligren as it was just kind of trying to keep a bit of continuity going yeah no for sure but it went bad <laughs> it went bad yeah <laughs> yeah i think in an ideal world and i suppose in this scenario i'm kind of pretending like justin hall doesn't exist and that's another conversation as i think you know we we've, we've all cleared up that he's he's been pretty useful this year but um you know i think in a perfect world sandine due to you know his age and and the kind of lack of experience that he has going to the playoffs maybe you're pairing him with a guy that's got a little bit more ex- experience and preferably somebody that's a bit more of a, a kind of just a meathead stay-at-home physical defenseman you know like a luke shen probably God, makes I, a lot of sense for a guy like him I, I wish sandine was a couple inches taller and about 10 pounds heavier because he's mean as they come on the back end it's just he's forced to play within you know his physical limitations like you said he's got plenty of snarl and he's more than willing to engage physically it's just uh he doesn't always measure up physically and i, I still do have 
some slight concerns about how him and Lillard are going to be able to handle a really heavy four check that's just kind of relentless over the course of a seven game playoff series. But, you know, maybe even more so than Sandine. I've been so impressed with Lilligren uh, lately. He, he's just, he's getting better and better all the time. I think even, you know, that physical game is starting to come along a little bit with Lilligren as well. He's a little more comfortable in his own skin out there, it seems. And, yeah, he's really coming into his own. I'm excited to see him kind of get a run with Riley on this top pairing here. And just to quickly loop back on Meyer before we move on from kind of the, the trade target talk. Um, Keith, I know you had a tweet recently just kind of about, um, you know, just go for Meyer as a rental. Like, obviously, he's an RFA. He's got a qualifying offer of $10 million, And that's, you know, kind of the thing probably putting some off in terms of like the price you're going to have to pay and the fact that, you know, you're going to have to pay out the eye to keep him. Um, but that's that's always hypothetical, right? Like it, it's the idea that you know you're going to have to qualify him, and he's going to take it right right up to the, the the deadline, or even you know look for an offer sheet or whatever. But like, mm-hmm. there's always the chance that you bring the guy in your organization, he likes it, and you can hammer out a reasonable deal. Now, like that that's going to be tough with the quality of player we're talking about here. But uh, I, I kind of agree with you. I, I kind of think that you gotta you gotta look into it, and like even if it's seems like you're you're you know paying a lot to, to get a guy who you might not be able to keep like maybe that's the decision you ultimately have to make but if that's the guy who you think can take you to the next level and like i'm inclined to think he could yeah um you know i i think i'd have to investigate that well think about it what's really the difference you know if you're going to go out and pay a similar package of assets for ryan o'reilly who's going to walk at the end of the year anyway it, the, the only real difference is that you'd you know, you'd be more inclined to want to keep uh, Timo Meyer because of that age and, and, you know, the upside that he still presents. But if you're just boiling it down to trying to get the best player as a rental for the stretch drive of this season in the playoffs, I think, you know, you're, you're bang on. You definitely got to investigate the Meyer situation. Uh, I, I still just think it, it's going to be a really big ticket to try and get him out of San Jose since they still do have that team control. So I don't, I'm not sure that they'll be particularly motivated to, to move him, but as far as players who are rumored to be available, that there really isn't a, a better fit for what the Leafs are looking for. Yeah, that's that's that was kind of the overarching point of my my tweet was like I don't think there's anybody out there. I mean, he's the be- he's like he's the best player I think on the trade deadline rental market list. N- again, not that he's a pure rental, but the best best player on all the trade bait lists. And it does seem like when you like, it seems like he's going to get moved. It's not even like a maybe thing. It seems pretty, you know, the the, the guys, the the standard or the everyday insider guys are saying that. So I guess that was my point was like, if he's the best player available, that's cool. But then it's doubled down that the fact that he's also the exact fit that they're looking for too. So I just think you gotta, you gotta go out and spend. Cause I don't think it's going to be that much less to get another, you know, guy in that, that echelon of player. And, and he's so much, just to me, the clear cut guy to go for that. If you're going to spend a first and, you know, a, a decent prospect or whatever to get, I don't know. I can't think of anybody off the top of my head right now, but you know what I'm saying? Like you might as well spend that little bit more to get the guy that's going to put you over the top. Um, it does seem like it would be virtually impossible to, to, uh, to extend them. But I guess the, the one thing that that's, I guess making me not get fully my hopes up on a guy like this is that he's kind of seems like a prime target for a team that maybe isn't, isn't in the playoffs 
that has cap space, like a Buffalo or something like that. That was literally that, the team yeah. I was just looking he, at as a possibility. Like, why wouldn't yeah, they throw the? They've moon got tons of cap them. room, and they're yeah. like one of those teams that's on and the verge assets. of turning the corner, right? Like they're they're looking good, and this guy puts yeah. them over the top. Imagine him and Tage Thompson yeah. playing together. Like that's yeah. outrageous. I, I'm just gonna take the, all the air out of your guys' balloon right now. Uh, remind you to take a look at the Boston Bruins. Uh, cap sheet oh, and what they have in terms of uh draft pick capital remaining they have the draft picks but they don't have much for prospects really yeah neither do heading into the deadline is going to be a, a kind of a, a matter of not only identifying the the leafs primary needs but also kind of keeping up with the joneses a little bit when you look around at, yeah. at what some of the other teams are going to be able to do so not only are you you know negotiating with the the team that owns these players you're, you're also negotiating against yeah. the other teams that are, are trying to acquire them as well so it, I, it, it's going to be interesting to see like just how high some of these prices get especially on a guy like Meyer who's kind of a unique situation as a younger player who's still going to be under team control but has that that big qualifying offer coming in the off season. Uh, yeah, it, it, it's, it's going to be, this is one of the wildest lead ups to a trade deadline that we've seen in a while. I think that there's just a lot of big names available out there. And it, it seems like it, there's a bit more disparity between the, the top of the league and the bottom of the league in terms of, you know, buyers and sellers. So, uh, yeah, it's going to be fun to see how it unfolds. Yeah, um, and like on Meyer, like I, th- I think that that is the interesting point, right? Like how many teams are going to be in it who aren't competitive and, and want to sign him for the future? But like it could be because otherwise, like everyone's going to have the same problem with the Sharks, right? Like the Sharks can can claim all they want. Like, yes, he does have technically another, you know, however much control and, and he, he's an RFA. But like if everyone's running into the same problem where they can't qualify him, then really there's no team control and you're not going to pay like there's team control. Right. So unless there's another team who's, who's driving the price up because, you know, they, they've got the, the cap space and the assets and, and you know, the desire to, to bring in a guy like that. So th- that's going to be, you know, the, the thing to watch for there and and you know you you make a good point too nick like the other teams competing for these guys right like that it's it's not just the the cost of not bringing a guy in but you know what if bo horvat goes to fucking boston or that's what i was waiting to say is that i've already i've already done that in my head tampa picks up ryan (laughs) o'reilly So like that's that's the thing you got to you got to try to to guard against too like it's it's not in a vacuum like these guys are going to land somewhere and and like like you said it's such a strong crop this year like last year it felt like it was just Claude Giroux leading up and would he like maybe be top five among the forwards in this this deadline you know group that that yeah. seems like they may be on the move right so like it's it's going to be tough to see one of those guys go elsewhere uh, and, and it just feels like you know the Leafs can't afford to stand pat I already have you know Boston doing exactly what they did with Hampus Lindholm with Bo Horvat that, that's it seems like a perfect fit in what they need for the future and just what Boston just fucking always seems to do. So I can see that happening and then, you know, trade because I see something about like the Canucks wanting like roster players for Horvat or did I just dream that? I I saw something to that effect. I didn't really see, you know, specifics beyond that in terms of exactly 
what that entails like as far as you know maybe younger roster players are they looking for maybe a, yeah, a guy in his mid-20s who, who's yeah. under contract for a bit uh, i'm not really sure but with, with the way that the vancouver canucks have been run the, the last little while i would definitely be yeah. trying to get on the phone with yeah. them every day <laughs> and see what's going on there <laughs> because they are a mess yeah no kidding just every every facet of the organization disaster um and you know, just to, to finish up on the on the the trade talk thing, like we've been talking a lot about Meyer, but like I'm I'm of the mind that I, I think that I can't remember which one of you mentioned it, but like I I think I prefer a center, like yeah. even if you got to pay a little more, or whatever, like if if you got to get in the bidding war, it it just I think it gives you so many more options, and like you said, you got to guard against injury, right? Like it it gets ugly in a hurry if one of those top two centers goes down, and and you know you got to have someone who who's going to be able to to fill in there right you don't want number 2 center david camp by you know game 3 of the playoffs right no and we just saw while matthews was out of the lineup for a couple of games that that first game where keith moved nylander into the middle of the ice and you know when the end of the game came and they needed a goal he felt it was best to have nylander back on the wing not because he wasn't you know getting the job done at center but more because that's where Nylander is most dangerous offensively and that's where, where you're going to get the most out of him. So I, I think you, it, your point is a good one in terms of trying to insulate the center position because, you know, one injury to Matthews or Tavares in the playoffs and it obviously, you know, no team is really going to be able to withstand uh, an injury to one of their top two centers. But with how top heavy the Leafs are and, you know, the, the lack of, you know, fill in options for lack of a better term i guess for either one of those guys i think you'd definitely be doing well to uh look at the center market and see what you can bring in in terms of depth there yeah i think that's for me was part of the allure of o'reilly and horvat i guess into a lesser extent i believe barbashev plays some center too so yeah i think you ideally are getting a guy that can play in that left wing top or uh, yeah top second line left wing spot but also in a pinch or you know not even in a pinch but you know a guy who's a a natural center that can just kind of move over i think makes a lot of sense um but you're you're kind of narrowing the market pretty significantly but there are a couple of names out there like i think you know i I said i didn't have much interest in taze earlier but obviously that's a guy that can play center so um yeah go team canada style nine centers yeah. and three guys who can't play center yeah yeah just you know figure it out yeah i like that i like the idea of yeah having horvat or o'reilly and you know you can play around have them as your third line center have them yeah. as your second line center shift jt over to the wing have them on your first line wing with you know matthews and nylander or Marner. like a lot of fun you could have with uh with uh, one of those guys um Moving on, but not really moving on, um, because we wanted to talk about prospects briefly. As we touched on last week, you have the uh, mid-season prospect rankings going on over the Leafs Nation. At that point, Nick, you were up to, you know, uh, through the the bottom ten, I guess, and you had the top ten to go. That's posted now, and. Uh, 
probably nothing too surprising towards the the top. You've got uh, Matthew Nyes as uh, as the top dog, which I think uh, everyone probably would have expected. And, and some uh, very unfortunate news actually that broke on Monday with your number two prospect as uh, Nick Robertson's season is done. Oh, man. Uh, he's had a shoulder surgery and Jesus, it's just been just one thing after another. Yeah, if it wasn't for bad luck, Nick Robertson wouldn't have any at all. Uh, just a, another really, really rough blow to his career and his development. You know, he, he's missed a lot of time over the last few years, and it, it's impossible for that to not have a, a negative effect uh, on a young player. But you know, everything we know about Robertson is that his work ethic and motivation off the ice is practically unmatched. So. I, I don't expect this to deter him, but it's certainly a pretty significant bump in the road. Yeah, no, that's that's for sure. It's uh, it's tough, man, and it gives you just all kinds of thoughts, I guess. Like, you know, is this guy going to be cut out for it? That's always going to be the the, yeah. the narrative when a small guy is having injury issues early in their career, and it's you know it's this and that. But like, you know, he could still very well be a successful player. But in terms of like, if we're continuing to talk about kind of the uh, the, the trade uh, deadline and, and some of the assets that that you know the Leafs might have to to kind of play with here in terms of you know trade chips um obviously i think that nick robertson's now off the table and, and i think that it's very much you know not in the best interest of of the organization to to move them now or at any at any point soon because i mean the value just won't be there until he can kind of get healthy and and kind of get uh, get in the swing of things in, in the pro game yeah i would have argued that you know even if he didn't suffer this setback and was able to kind of come back on the original timeline that would have been, you know, around the, the beginning of February or something like that, likely would have been destined for an extended run with the Marlies. I, I still would have made the argument that it, it would have been a, a bad idea to try and trade him at this point in time. His value yeah, is not so exactly at, at its highest point. Um, and yeah, you've got to try and kind of rebuild him as a player and as an asset moving forward, whether that's going to be, for the Leafs or, or as something they kind of use in a trade package to try and get better elsewhere. But I, yeah, the, I think the the news of the surgery that's going to end his season certainly takes him off of the, the table in terms of being a trade asset for the, uh, the immediate future. And beyond him, I, I think the, the only real untouchable or anyone close to untouchable in the organization in terms of the the prospect pipeline would be nice just because of a combination of things his proximity to the nhl the the fact that he looks to be a player who has legitimate top six potential at the nhl you know maybe not right away but as he continues to develop and gain experience at the pro level he definitely has all the makings of that top six power forward which is the, the other thing that makes him so valuable, not only to the Leafs, but around the league, you just you look around, it's not just the Leafs that don't really have that kind of player. There's a lot of teams that don't have that bona fide top six power forward who can create offense, you know, help drive play in transition and just be an absolute handful to play against in terms of the physicality and board battles and battling in front of the net and everything that goes along with that. So I think it would take a, an absolute knock your socks off offer uh, 
in order to even entertain moving a player like that, especially when you're, you're looking at the chances of him being someone who could potentially be in this lineup later on this season, if he does decide to turn pro at the end of his year with Minnesota. And yeah, there's just, there's too much in his game that makes him a unique asset to to kind of entertain him as a, a possibility in a trade, in my opinion. So we'll we'll talk lots more about, you know, some of what's in the system and some of the guys who could be, you know, dangled as, you know, pieces that could bring in some of these big names or smaller names or or what have you because this is very much, you know, going to be a like I don't I don't want to say it's going to be like an empty the cupboard trade deadline, but you have to think a couple of pieces from from the pipeline are going to be moved out for help. Um and maybe maybe they stick to more picks than prospects, but I, I would expect to see one or two of these names move. Yeah, and what I will say about the, the Leafs uh, group of prospects is, while they don't really have you know, maybe that real blue chip prospect or the real elite kind of potential at the top of their prospect pool, they are really deep with a lot of players who project to be NHLers in some capacity. And a lot of their recent picks ha- have really you know, kind of hit the ground running ever since being drafted and their development has been trending upward. So I think that the Leafs prospect pool probably gets a little bit too much hate. Um, again, while they might not have the, the most enticing top tier pieces, I think they do have a, a lot of players in that middle tier who will be enticing to teams who are selling. Which makes sense considering how they've traded their first and they've been high, you know, you know, high point totals and finishing, you know, getting picks later in the, in the draft. So it's, it's going to make sense that they don't have elite of elite, like to pull knives out of the second round to even get to that point. Yeah. And, and of course the, the unfortunate situation with Rodion Amirov, that of course you know, yeah. we continue to send, send him our best. Um, obviously the hockey implications don't really matter. You're talking about a young man's life, but the reality is that that's a, a blow to the Leafs inter- from a hockey asset standpoint, right? That's a, a very valuable pick and a player who's got all kinds of talent and potential to, to be a real impact player moving forward. But obviously the, the focus yeah. right now is just on him getting healthy and, and being able to, to live a, a long and, comfortable life yeah, exactly yeah and 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 you know the fact that we are talking about a guy like nice as as a borderline untouchable when they you know haven't had the, those high picks is is you know that's a pretty good testament to their the scouting and the, and the work that they've done but the one the, the name that i keep thinking about is is niemela and i he feels like a perfect trade piece but at the same time like you said this before, Nick. There's not a lot coming on the defensive prospect pipeline, yeah. So it feels like you're you're kind of dealing from as, as much as he's a guy that I just he he's probably you know knowing that Sandy and Lilligren are, are as young as they are and you know aren't really going anywhere for a while and neither's Riley. I yeah, you know, it just they've kind of got half the D core locked up anyway. So it's kind of all right that there's not a whole lot coming in a way, but you still obviously need prospects, but it just feels like a guy that you could trade, but also at the same time you're dealing from a, a position that you, you don't necessarily have a surplus in. Well, yeah. And if you're, you're talking about taking Nyes and Robertson off the table, Nimala is uh, he's probably the, your next the, best guy. Yeah. He's your, your best trade chip after that, you know, beyond your draft picks. Um, Again, like you said, Keith, there isn't a whole lot coming on the blue line uh, in terms of prospect help. Uh, Nimalo was my 
third ranked prospect on the list, and I believe the next highest ranked defenseman was um, 13 or 14 with Philip Crawl, who yeah, probably 13. tops out a, a, as a as a third pairing guy at best. So, and then beyond that, you've got maybe like William Villeneuve, who if everything goes absolutely perfectly, maybe he's a, a you know a, a four to six kind of defenseman at the NHL level someday. But there really isn't a whole lot coming there. So, I, I think the Leafs will probably try and steer towards uh, moving off of some prospect forwards rather than Nimala. But if they're going big game hunting, uh, Nimala might be what it takes to, to get that deal done. So I think they'll be open to that, but uh, definitely hesitant to, to move on from him. And uh, one more guy that I wanted to talk about more just as a prospect than as a trade chip, because I'm, I'm guessing that this is not a guy that the least would be too comfortable moving on maybe not not so much as nice but Fraser Minton uh, is their most recent top pick he was a second rounder in 2022 because yeah. of the absolute just robbery to, to trade down what 13 spots and unload <laughs> Peter Morazic yeah. and you still get Fraser Minton and I always think Nick like you're always posting clips of him and I always think about back around the draft when they made this trade down and there was like I, I can't remember who reported it but there was some kind of talk about how the Leafs felt that you know they could they could make this trade down and they were going to get the guy at the top of their list regardless uh, you know they, they could probably trade down again and still get him and you know people were a little surprised by this pick but man he he has looked good i know he's doing a lot of work on the power play but there are a lot of tools there well yeah very similar to nice in that sense that you know maybe not exactly similar in terms of their overall style of play and the way that they generate offense but when you're looking at the fact that the team didn't have a pick in the first round um their first selection came in the second round and for an organization that's typically kind of taking swings on higher upside guys who have maybe been overlooked by other organizations, they, they kind of went the opposite way and went off the board taking a guy who was considered more of a, a low ceiling, high floor prospect in Minton. But the organization, well, namely Kyle Dubas, right after the draft alluded to the fact that Minton hadn't been playing high level hockey for a very long time. He was one of the youngest players in the draft class. They felt very strongly about you know the upside that he still had and the untapped potential that they still believed in. And you know, so far this season, uh, he's definitely making them look pretty smart for selecting him where they did. Uh, you know, it was definitely a reach according to a lot of public boards. Uh, I don't think a lot of people had him targeted as a, a second round pick as you said, kind of turned a few heads when the Leafs made that pick. But so far this season, he, he's really elevated his game and is kind of living up to that faith that the, the Leafs placed in him. As you said, a lot of the work is coming on the power play. But I've watched a couple uh, games in the, in the last couple of weeks, and he's really looking to assert himself a lot more in terms of carrying the puck at even strength, being the guy who's sort of leading that offensive charge. I, I know a lot of that time was spent with – uh, Logan Stankoven and Caden Bankier away at the World Juniors, so he was maybe kind of thrust into a more prominent role in terms of leading the offense, but he answered that call, and when you, you combine, you, you see the way he shoots the puck, you combine that with the size, uh, the fact that he is a responsible defensive player who's more than willing to, to lay out a big hit of his own, is another player who just really similar to Nyes in, the, in terms of 
drafted as kind of a, a, a safer pick, you know, or at least considered to be a safer pick by, by most people, but has really flashed the upside ever since being drafted and, and kind of shown why the Leafs were willing to place that kind of faith in him. Yeah, I don't know how the hell they keep getting these guys. Like the, these big guys with tools who, you know, if, if everything goes right, like it, usually those are the guys that rock it up to 15th overall. And with Nyes, we, you know, we had – you know, the, the whole COVID and he was out for a while and he had kind of a really up and down season. And I guess, you know, like you said, Minton, like maybe just was a, a case where scouts just didn't get eyes on him enough to. Or to, maybe not at the right time. Yeah. I know, like going back and watching a, a little bit of him, it, again, similar to Nyes in that as the season wore on and down into the stretch drive of his draft year, started to look like a different player. It was really really turning it on. Uh, Minton was exceptional in last year's WHL playoffs, almost helped lead the Blazers to a, to a berth in the finals. Uh, I think he finished with like 16 points in 17 playoff games or something like that. So he, there was an uptick from his regular season production and he's only carried that into this season so far. He's on pace to smash last year's offensive total. So yeah, he's done everything that the Leafs could have hoped for when they selected him. Yeah. And, uh, you know, while, while we're all kind of in the, you know, playoffs are the only thing that matters, you know, playoff results, that's that's the thing. It might be worth just noting that seemingly every guy the Leafs have drafted in the last several years just rockets up like 12 to 20 spots in a redraft within three months. Uh, like it's... But the encouraging thing about that is it's not always like Leaf-centric media posting those things like oh, no, that's... i've seen uh, well just the, the last couple of weeks uh, ep ringside uh, the affiliate site of elite prospects they've been putting out like a monthly stock watch and four of the leafs picks from the last draft were noted to be trending up uh, according to ep in this stock watch series that was fraser minton uh dennis hildeby the goaltender in sweden uh, Nick Moldenhauer, who was the the third rounder playing with Chicago in the USHL, and Nikita Grebyankin, who we talked about last week, who has stepped into a, a top six role in the KHL as a 19 year old this year and has been quite productive. So I, I think you know, when you, you get it from, an, it's one thing to hear a Leafs fan such as myself or my buddy Kyle Cushman kind of raving about these prospects that we have in the organization, but when you you see that stuff coming from unbiased, you know, non Leafs affiliated media I think it really illustrates just how well the Leafs have been doing drafting in these last couple of years and that's a big reason that I really hope Kyle Dubas gets to see this through and we're not going to get into you know whether he should be extended or not this week <laughs> but when you you look at the early returns on some of his drafts uh, or the last couple drafts anyway uh, it, it really looks like they're building something here and, and are setting themselves up for sustained success. So yeah, again, just hoping that this team is able to find some on success this year that uh, allows this management regime to keep it pushing forward and uh, see the results of their, their labor at the draft table. Yeah. The, uh, the scouting department has just been a huge asset to this organization and something worth keeping in mind as we continue to evaluate this front office, which like you said, maybe we'll do, Next week. Uh, for now, though, uh, Nick, big win for your Bills. Big win for the Bills. Uh, was much more stressful than I <laughs> yeah. needed it to be or than I expected it to be. Uh, it just seemed like a, a lot of things went wrong for the Bills in that game. Uh, I, I said it on Twitter afterwards. 
wouldn't be the the 2022-23 Bills without some adversity. It seems like uh, it's been at every turn for them this year with everything that's gone on, not only with the team, but in the city of Buffalo. They've dealt with their share of tragedy over the the last few months. And then you've got the the DeMar Hamlin situation. Um, Kim Pagula, who is one of the, the owners of the Bills, has had her own health issues this year. Tight end Dawson Knox uh, lost his younger brother uh, unexpectedly earlier in the season. So just a, a lot of things that this team has had to face, and they found a way to get it done on Sunday, um, you know, despite a lot of things not going their way. Wasn't pretty, but uh, shake it off, uh, move on to the Bengals, and yeah, keep pushing forward. I guess the encouraging thing is I don't feel like anybody that had a bad game could have it again like you know what i mean like it 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 feels like that's about as bad as they could play um and then obviously to to still come away with the win but like the wide receivers didn't look great i mean Allen was not not awful but but not john he wasn't he wasn't i I think the the numbers probably looked worse than he actually played like i don't think either of those interceptions the the first interception the one that he threw to john brown was maybe an ill-advised throw but i think john brown also broke off his route a a little bit early there or maybe kind of gave up on on the fly route a little bit too early forgot that it was josh allen uh, that's throwing the ball and he can heave it out of the stadium if he wants Uh, and, and the second interception was just cole beasley not coming back to the ball enough to kind of gain that separation on the curl route, hit him, popped up in the yeah. air. Not much you can do about that for, uh, from a quarterback no, those, perspective. Those tip, but tip balls are always, yeah, you know, nothing you can really do. And like as I said, like, I don't, I don't, doesn't seem like that, that you're going to get a, 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 as bad as you can play. Um, so you hope that obviously they bounce back, but I think they will. I think there'll be a, lot, a much more, it'll be a, a tougher task, obviously Burrow versus Skylar Thompson, but yeah, you know, um, they seem to to be able to play up to it. Good teams do that. Yeah, I, I agree with you, Keith. I think that you you your point about uh, you know it seems a lot more likely that they're going to bounce back. And the other thing that's working in their favor too, I think, is that uh, the Bengals. Uh, almost lost to the Ravens also, and the Ravens looked probably even shittier than the Dolphins. They were 100%. brutal. Yeah. And Cincinnati barely got out of that one. So, I mean, Cincinnati's well-documented to have a lot of problems. but Yeah, despite their problems, I was still very much rooting for uh, Tyler Huntley and the Ravens in that oh, matchup. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No yeah. You almost sure. got it. Yeah, yeah. You want that. Oh, I mean, you were a friggin' quarterback sneak away from getting it. Yeah. Yeah, no one else wants that though. The the quarterback matchup in the AFC right now is tight. Yeah, as a as an un uh, unpartial or in us on a word, as an impartial viewer, um you, I want I want Allen Burrow all day. <laughs> yeah. And then Allen Mahomes. Yeah, exactly. Well, I mean, given the current state of affairs, I would like that very much as well. I just would have preferred to <laughs> You know, maybe have a, a pit stop at Trevor Lawrence along the way. Not to take anything away from him because he's really turned it on in the, the second half of this season. Yeah, yeah we're uh, less than an hour away from kickoff here for the, the last game of the wildcard weekend, uh, Tampa Bay and Dallas. I'm five for five in the, the picks pool that Keith put together. What, what do we mm-hmm. agree on that, Keith? $150 to $100 buy-in? What was it? <laughs> it was, uh, it was, yeah, it was, uh, uh, there was some chatter about it being 50, but it, it, did, it did settle at 20, unfortunately, for Cam. Uh, there's a, there's a few there's a few four to fives though kicking around myself included that uh, you know we're in the rear view. <laughs> yeah, well I'll be rooting for Cam so he can uh, 
reimburse me for telling me to let it ride on Saturday <laughs> night when I should have cashed it. <laughs> what was that you were waiting on again? What did you what did you need to leave swin? Was that it? Yeah, I had a same game parlay, Matthews and Pasternak for any time goal scorer and the, the Leafs to win. And uh in, in the dying minutes I was strongly considering just you know cashing out and kind of I guess hedging my bets. Uh yeah, didn't work out that way. It took the advice uh, of a dear friend, and uh, pain was felt immediately. Yeah, I threw, I threw, uh, I threw five bucks down on one of those boosted parlays on Bet three sixty five after four moose heads and forgot and saw it. Hey, no free promos. The, yeah, yeah, shit. Sorry on uh, the betting service of my use. Um, yeah, and then I woke up the next morning and looked at it, and I had fifty more or what I think fifty five more dollars than I expected to have in my account. Had a nice little surprise Sunday morning after an evening of drinking <laughs> you gotta love that and how's our resident degenerate doing uh, on the, yeah you're off to a hot start season. and you're that's the end of the start. show we're gonna we'll talk to you next week <laughs> <laughs>